The Clearview AI Case, Territorial Reach and AI Regulation. Hello, and welcome to this 39 Essex Chambers AI and the Law podcast series. I'm Catherine Apps, and today I'll be discussing the knotty question of what falls within and what falls outside of the territorial reach of the UK Information Commissioner's Office, which regulates data protection law within the UK. This came up very recently for the first time in the first tier information tribunal in the Clearview AI case. To discuss this case, I'm joined today by my colleague in chambers, Barrister Jenny Thielen, who often acts in cases involving questions of territoriality and data law, as well as broader public law and regulatory law issues. Jenny actually started off as an attorney in the United States, but then came to the UK and requalified here about 15 years ago. Jenny, thank you so much for joining me today. It's lovely to be here. Before we get to what the first tier tribunal decided, this case can't be seen in global isolation, but in some senses echoes and responds to what other legal systems and other regulators have also been doing. And of course, at its heart, this is technology that that runs across territorial boundaries. Should we just go back a little in time and talk about where this case starts in the USA with some scraping of facial images from the internet and social media years ago, and a lawsuit in Illinois in Chicago brought by the American Civil Liberties Union, ACLU. Do you want to just tell us where does this all come from, this case? Sure. So what Clearview AI does is they provide a service that allows customers to upload an image of a person to the company's app, which is then checked by AI technology for a match against the Clearview database. The app then provides a list of images that have similar characteristics to the photo provided by the customer um, with a link to the websites where those images came from. So Clearview software is largely designed for law enforcement agencies and their current clients include law enforcement or national securities agencies in the US, Brazil, Mexico and Panama. But it wasn't always the case and as you've rightly highlighted, Previously, there was a case in Illinois and Chicago bought by the ACLU and who challenged what Clearview AI was doing. And the basis for this challenge was a violation of an Illinois state law, their digital privacy law. The case didn't go all the way to trial. It settled. And Clearview AI agreed to stop making its database available to the Illinois state government and local police department for five years. It also agreed to permanently stop selling access to its facial database to private businesses or individuals around the U.S. Interesting. So we're very much in the world of facial recognition technology. And in technological terms, the AI we're dealing with here is a pattern recognition model. And of course, we've got a settlement. So that means that uh, Clearview AI hasn't admitted liability in Chicago or elsewhere. But what they have done in the settlement agreement, as you say, was to agree not to do various things in terms of the use of the technology. And also, as I understand it, also to implement a technical limitation, sometimes called a guardrail, to geolocate where the photographic data comes from, to exclude images from particular geographical locations. So that was the ACLU case in the settlement. What happened after that settlement in Chicago? Well, Clearview kept its business going. It stopped selling commercially, but it continued to work for law enforcement agencies. And that gets us to the latest tranche of regulatory action. And it's a very large tranche. 
there was a lot of regulators around the world who became interested in what Clearview was doing. So they were interested in the way that it was scanning the internet, even though it was all public pages. It was scanning, of course, entirely internationally across all social media and news sites. And that generated a lot of regulatory interest. In the UK, there was a joint Australian and UK investigation, which was unusual. But there was a lot of regulatory interest both in the EU and outside of the EU, and a number of regulators issued fines. As far as I know, there are, well, I think we can proceed on the basis there are other proceedings outstanding. The UK has issued a fine. That fine was appealed. And that gets us to where we are in the case we're going to talk about today, which was Clearview AA's appeal from the fine issued by the ICO to the first year tribunal. That was a £7.5 million fine, wasn't it, from the UK ICO to Clearview AI? Yeah, a lot of money. Not quite as much as they originally said that it was going to be. Initially, yes, it was £17 million, and it was lowered on internal review, but it was still a very significant fine. And as I mentioned, Clearview appealed the fine, and we recently received a judgment from the first-year tribunal. Excellent. So that was, I think, 17th of October 2023 is the judgment. We're going to talk about that now. Just so that we set it in its legal foundation, what UK law are we talking about here in terms of what the first-year tribunal was deciding? Well, the case straddled two regimes. It straddled the pre-Brexit data protection regime, the GDPR, and the post-Brexit UK GDPR, as well as the Data Protection Act 2018. But for the practical purposes, that made no difference to the outcome of this appeal. So a case where Brexit made no difference. And then sort of separating out one stage further, uh, Clearview AI, obviously an American company, it's not established in the EU, it's not established in the UK. So in order to get within the scope of the ICO at all, or within the first tier tribunal, We need to be in the so-called extraterritorial provisions of GDPR, don't we, where for companies not based here, it uh, applies and puts undertakings under duties in relation to processing of personal data in the context of activities of an establishment or controller or processor in the union, regardless of whether the processing takes place in the union or not. And then in Article 3 sets out some extensions and 3.2a is the offering of goods and services to data subjects in the European Union. And B is where you've got processing activities that are related to the monitoring of behaviour as far as behaviour takes place in the union. So let's just talk about that particular hook, the related to monitoring of behaviour. Who was actually doing that? Was that done by Clearview AI or how did the legal analysis work for that extraterritorial hook? The legal analysis is complicated and the first year tribunal does an excellent job, I think, of breaking down at this part of the judgment, these various internal, I guess, hurdles to get to the point where the ICO is able to issue a fine. So first it describes the processing. So what it is that Clearview AI is doing, and it says there are essentially two types of processing activity. First, there is the database, creating and maintaining a database of its images. And that's something that Clearview AI does on its own. Second, there is a process whereby probe images, so that's the person being searched for, are received from clients. And then those images are matched to other images in its database and then the search results, so the outcome of that matching process is provided to clients. And that type of processing occurs both with Clearview and its clients. 
And so what the first tier tribunal did next was look at that type of processing and apply it within that complicated provision you've mentioned, Catherine, Article 3.2, which basically sets out when UK GDPR is going to be applied extraterritorially or outside the UK. And there's really two key concepts, what's meant by monitoring and what's meant by behaviour. So what the first tier tribunal held was that the monitoring didn't need to be carried out by Clearview itself. And that was clear from the language of Article 3.2b, which referred to the monitoring rather than their monitoring. So that's a broad interpretation. And while the first tier tribunal didn't exhaustively define either behavior or monitoring, it did identify key concepts. So behavior relates to the doing of something by a person rather than simply their characteristics. So hair color is not behavior, but a picture which demonstrates what someone is wearing is. A picture of someone smoking also reveals their behavior by revealing that they are a smoker, a behavioral characteristic. Monitoring has a temporal element. So you could establish monitoring in terms of where a person is at a particular point of time with one image. So it's not that you need to have a series of images, but there has to be some kind of time link. It also would include watching an individual across a series of photos. The tribunal did find that merely identifying individuals was not monitoring. You have to go farther and have that temporal element. What was interesting here is that Clearview itself wasn't monitoring behavior. And if we go back to that first processing we just talked about, so building the database, the thing it does on its own, that's not monitoring. But what was monitoring was that second step, engaging with the client to search the database. Now, interestingly, the ICO had offered up an argument that merely gathering the raw data from the images, so that scraping, and, and the way they refer to that as spatial vectors from the images, the way they kind of build those into algorithms, the ICO did argue that Clearview was monitoring behavior, but the tribunal rejected that argument. And it said that process revealed nothing about the behavior of a person because it was effectively an automated mathematical exercise. So this sounds very broad. And could it be said that in the first tier tribunal's reasoning, essentially, there's no distinction between processing by the principal themselves and processing by their contractor? Or does there have to be some kind of relationship? The tribunal, it didn't entirely collapse the two roles. But what it found was that where their purposes were aligned they were both effectively, the regulation was going to affect them in the same way. They were both processing. So here, Clearview's customers couldn't carry out their monitoring without the cross processes carried out by Clearview and creating and maintaining the database. And the tribunal looked very carefully at the purposes and found they were both acting to the same end. So then we get to the territorial reach question. Now, usually, if not just uh, relating this only to data law, a court or tribunal would split it into two and ask, what's the territorial reach of the duty itself? What's the statutory ambit? And then separately look at the territorial reach of either the tribunal or the regulator itself to take enforcement action and to levy a fine. Now, the provisions of GDPR cause this to arise similarly to that. And the first tier split this in a slightly different way, don't they? Do you want to just talk us through how do they approach the question of territoriality? 
Yes. I mean, essentially, they took a broad approach to territoriality by the hook of the term in Article 3, related to. And they interpreted related to to find that despite the fact that Clearview's clients were monitoring, Clearview was on that hook for those activities as well. So they were very much, as I've just kind of alluded to, looking to the purposes of Clearview's activity. So on this approach, I mean, you see if you start thinking about how else it could apply the breadth of the approach taken. So if you provide access to a search engine for the purpose of identifying something about the actions of an individual, you will be monitoring their behavior. So the reasoning, when you're reading the judgment, the reasoning is solid. But stepping back, one can also see that the plain meaning of the word monitoring could well be understood to be something else, requiring something like a more targeted set of observations. Here, The tribunal didn't end just there, applying this broad approach to extraterritoriality. They went on to find that there was, on the facts of this case, a relevant jurisdictional carve-out. And that was that the UK GDPR did not apply to data processing carried out as part of foreign law enforcement activities. You'll remember that Clearview's only clients were non-UK or non-EU law enforcement or national security bodies or their contractors. So the first-tier tribunal found that foreign law enforcement activities fall outside the scope of UK law. It would put it very neatly and succinctly. It is not for one government to seek to or bind or control the activities of another sovereign state. So that was, despite applying a very broad interpretive approach to Article 3.2, they found this carve-out applied here to shut down the extraterritorial reach of the UK's ICO. I think you're right to say that they're very much in the world of reach, aren't they? So they recognise a broad potential scope of duty, but then they recognise that there is a carve-out. And the fact that it's said to fall within the carve-out is enough, essentially, for the first tier. But one of the reasons that they use for that is sort of more commonly deployed in cases to do with you know, should there be enforcement action or should one country's courts consider the matter as opposed to another, this idea of comity and not treading on the sovereignty of another contracting state. But they don't seem, or as far as I can see in the judgment, to be looking and testing the factual question as to whether it's actually being used only in other states' law enforcement or not. They seem to not look at that question factually at all. Am I right in saying that? Or is it a bit more subtle than that? No, I think that is an entirely fair observation. There's no analysis of what falls within law enforcement activity. And I think that's particularly important here, where we don't know who Clearview AI's customers are, specifically, but we know that they're not only governments, national or local, we know that they're also include contractors. So it appears to be enough to benefit from this carve out to be a defense, national security or law enforcement contractor. It's a very wide definition of effectively law enforcement. And I think that's surprising given that what the nature of the software is that we're considering. It's facial recognition software. And as we know, this was of real concern to the ACLU in the litigation in America, and it's been of concern to other regulators. It's formed the basis of other high-profile litigation in the field of data protection here in the UK, such as the Bridges action. 
And it's of regulatory concern because here you have images which were originally made public in a way that was sharing with family and friends, and they're being used for a very different purpose, law enforcement. Against this, you have the very real value to law enforcement of this type of IA tool. And of course, there's a public interest in that as well. But what this judgment doesn't do is engage in any kind of balancing or analysis of how far that law enforcement carve-out should extend. It simply says that balancing is for another day. It's interesting because I suppose in in some ways that other day is already with us, certainly in terms of the EU legislature. We have the EU AI Act going through the European legislative process at the moment, and the Parliament has sought to amend the proposed regulation to include essentially a hard stop on the use of facial recognition software, unless it's for much narrower purposes than those currently permitted on the way that the first-tier tribunal interpret GDPR. So it might be that we'll get some new legislation from Europe, but some people also think that's going to be either watered down or softened or changed, at least, when that regulation goes through the European Council and goes back to the Commission before it's actually enacted. So uh, where we are now might not be where we are in a few years' time. But two more thoughts here. So we are where we are in terms of within the UK with this decision, and this is obviously one of the first cases involving AI where the English Tribunal have grappled with how UK regulators can police the use of AI, in which they consider to be potentially within scope of UK or EU data and privacy law. What would you say are the implications for other AI companies from the judgment of the first tier tribunal? As we discussed, most companies won't be able to benefit from the carve out for those who can't. So, for example, if Clearview were to start selling its services commercially, they would be caught by that very wide definition of monitoring. So any scanning of an internet database search engine where you were looking or capturing images which could give away or indicate what someone's behavior was, that then you will fall within the reach of the limb of Article 3.2. The other thing to be wary of is that while this case dealt with behavior and monitoring, the other limb of Article 3.2, the offering of goods or services to data subjects, either by an entity or a third party, is also potentially very wide-reaching. Just sort of circling back round where we started this, obviously the UK information regulators aren't the only ones who took action. And will we have more disputes in future where you have different national regulators in different places and potentially different bits of internal domestic litigation, so private parties whose data has been been used and are claiming against companies? Will we have a, a jostle between those regulators and the courts as to who goes first and whether there can be concurrent proceedings going on simultaneously? I think we will. But I also think that for large, international, well-funded companies like Clearview, that won't be anything new. They're used to operating in a number of jurisdictions who will have different approaches to regulation, both data protection and rather more long-standing business concerns, such as tax. And of course, we know here that Clearview not only has to deal with multiple national governments, it's also already had to deal with multiple state governments within the U.S. who approach data protection differently. And that initial lawsuit that they faced in Illinois was taken on the basis of state law rather than federal law. It's interesting, isn't it? Because so much is often said about how can the UK make itself competitive by ensuring that its regulation sort of regulates effectively within the UK, but doesn't become a sort of regulatory burden such as that it essentially puts off innovation or puts off companies from coming here. And I suppose in 
EU law circling back to the directors before GDPR, they have a freedom of movement base. They have a free market base. And the thinking there has always been that if you have different states across the EU having different laws, that can be a high barrier to entry. It can also affect competition essentially within the European Union itself. And presumably we'll still see those debates going on in the world of data law, which has, of course, become much more prominent over these years. But as you say, you know, how new really is this from the perspective of companies that are used to the law in a country being the law in the country? Well, I suppose that is caveated. I mean, it will depend on the type of company. Clearview AI is clearly a company that is not afraid of litigation and challenge. But it may be that other smaller companies will be less likely to enter into jurisdictions where there is a risk of litigation. And also, Clearview did settle the litigation with the ACLU rather than fighting it all the way to the court. And obviously, all of these jurisdictional challenges are based on the assumption that the ultimate matter does ultimately come out against them. But that's not actually been determined as yet, as far as I understand it, by any court in any jurisdiction. We're still at the stage of regulators having made a fine and then there being ongoing appeals. Thinking of appeals, do we know if there's going to be an appeal by the ICO in the Clearview judgment? We don't yet know the answer to that question, Catherine. We probably wouldn't know until limitation has expired for that. Now, Jenny, can I ask you a question that we've been asking all of our guests on this series? And this is essentially a scale question, and it's a scale from zero to ten, between zero being the most pessimistic and ten being the most optimistic. How you feel, and this is your own personal feelings, about the impact of AI on the world. So what number would you choose and why would you choose that number? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm a centrist, so I suppose I start with five. And I'm an optimist, so I'll bump it up to six. I mean, I think my overall response is that it's going to be a very bumpy ride. And we will have successes, we will have failures. We mustn't get too confident from our successes not to learn from our failures and experiences and apply that knowledge more broadly. Well, thank you so much, Jenny, for joining me. That was absolutely fascinating. And thank you for listening to this 39 Essex Chambers AI and the Law podcast on the Clearview AI case, territorial reach and AI regulation. If you've liked this podcast, please like it on social media and go to 39essex.com to download more episodes. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.